for the uh, scripture reading today. I'm going to read from Colossians 3, verses 1 through 14. In Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtue put on love, which binds them all together in perfect harmony. In this series that we're in on the Lord's Prayer, this is the only clause in the prayer that we're going to be spending two full Sundays, two different weeks addressing it. This will be part one as the title is indicated in the bulletins. And so uh, we'll, we'll be talking about two parts. One of it is to make sure we understand what the whole idea of forgiveness is and the role of forgiveness Uh, Not only in scripture, but in in God's redeeming work through Christ. And the second week, we'll be looking more at the outcome of that. What is the effect of forgiveness? And how does that more specifically uh, bring a change of direction to our lives? In 2004, a man by the name of Frank Warren created uh, something called Post-Secret Dot com, in which people can write on a postcard about secrets that they are carrying and feeling guilty for. Now, the idea originated as a project for an art show uh, and, and an art exhibit, but within seven months, he had already acquired 2,000 postcards. Every week, he received secrets in the form of postcards from around the world. The website, I don't know if it's currently up. As of this writing, it was still up and running. Um, So uh, I know that now uh, some of you are going to be having some work to do on your phones here in the next few minutes. Um, Not that anybody would interrupt the worship for that. 
but uh, but in any case, that's that's fine if you do. Um, if if you could write a confession about something in your life, if you wanted to create a postcard, what might that be? Would it be something that was hidden? Would it be something that you've tried asking for forgiveness for, or you've you've tried forgiving others, but it just keeps hanging around? And you can't quite get past it or beyond it. And who would you send it to? Would you send it to a dot com? Would you perhaps be open to deal with it in the way that Jesus himself taught and the way that uh, we have it in this prayer? I'm going to look at a couple of other passages. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me and let's just do a little bit of an overview of some of the other passages. Already in this passage, uh, Paul was writing and, and he clearly indicated um, that, uh, that his understanding was that as we forgive others, so we are forgiven, that there is a link there. We're going to be talking a lot more about that, but I want you to look for that same connection in these passages. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer the gift. So you have again, here's this connection between saying that my sense of worship and my relationship with God and even my offering to God is connected to a relationship with someone else. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. These are, I, I, this one again is in, the, is in the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 14, Matthew 6. For if you forgive, forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then turn to, God, uh, to Mark 11, chapter 11, verses 24. Mark chapter 11. Therefore I tell you, Whatever you ask in, for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against someone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And so the idea in both the Greek and Hebrew words that translate forgive is to release the offender from the guilt and to restore that relationship with them to the original status before the offense. In other words, uh, the, the idea was that forgiveness restores something that has been broken. And then let's look in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Uh, this is an encounter that you will remember. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? 
Up to seven times, Peter asked. Probably thinking that he was already being kind of facetious, like exaggerating it. Up to seven times? And Jesus, very quick wit, came right back at him and said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. When uh, John Wesley served as a missionary to the American colonies, he had a difficult time with one particular general by the name of James Oglethorpe. The general was known for his pride and harshness. And one time Oglethorpe declared, I never forgive. And Wesley replied, then sir, I hope you never sin. William Barclay paraphrases the petition that we have in the Lord's Prayer. He says it this way. Forgive us our sins in proportion as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Another take on that same prayer in the Lord's same phrase is from Everett Fulham. And he paraphrases it this way. He says, Father, forgive my sins only to the extent that I am willing to forgive those who have sinned against me. What we see here in these passages is that forgiveness is at the heart of all of Scripture. It's at the heart of God. And it is at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. Without forgiveness, there is no reason or basis for the prayer or any aspect of it. It is the heart of the matter and equally a matter of the heart. I kept playing this song over in my head and I'm thinking, what song is that? And in all of my extremely limited and largely made fun of uh, online skills, I did look it up and find out it was from this line I kept playing in my head was from a song by Don Henley, I don't know how many years ago. And I kept reading the words to it. It's really a song about the forgiveness of breaking up with his girlfriend, supposedly. And I thought, here's an example of one of those songs that is written in a secular way, but really anything good in terms of the secular is just borrowing and copying from God anyway. I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, but here, here are his words. I'm going to read the whole lyrics. It's a relatively long song. But these times are so uncertain. There's a yearning undefined. People filled with rage. We all need a little tenderness. How can love survive in such a graceless age? Ah, the trust and self-assurance that leads to happiness. They're the very things we kill, I guess. Oh, pride and competition cannot fill these empty arms. And the work I put between us, and no, it doesn't keep me warm. I'm learning to live without you now, but I miss you sometimes. The more I know, the less I understand. All the things I knew, I'm learning again. I've been trying to get down to the heart of the matter. But my will gets weak and my thoughts seem to scatter. But I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if you don't love me anymore. 
I wish some of us would be able to get to that point, not with just a friend, but with a neighbor, with someone we work with, perhaps with our spouse, perhaps with church leaders, perhaps with somebody that we've had difficulties with, perhaps with a close friend that's hurt us, to be able to say, even if it doesn't change the situation, even if that relationship is broken, still to release through forgiveness. When we talk about the heart of the matter, uh, when you when you think about the heart, and um, you know, I never thought much about the the actual function of the heart um, until I ended up in open heart surgery, and then I had a lot of questions, and I looked up a lot of things online, and and uh, tried to understand more of how the heart functions and how my heart had been functioning. There are four main functions to the heart. One is pumping oxygenated blood to the other body parts. So it's, it's the, the primary control center for getting things to the body that, it, that are needed. The second is to pump, uh, pump hormones and other vital substances to the different parts of the body. The third is receiving deoxygenated blood and carry metabolic waste products from the body and pumping it to the lungs for oxygenation. In other words, it functions to eliminate the things that would be bad or to, to, to identify and filter the things that are harmful to the body. The heart is always functioning on behalf of the whole body. It is at the center of all of our human body functions. And the fourth one is maintaining blood pressure. Maintaining a balance by which all of the parts of the body can function efficiently, effectively in the way that they were intended to function. And then that brings us back to this question of Genesis. What was the intention of the function of human beings in relationship to God? All of the work of Jesus is to restore that which was broken by sin. All of the, the, the purpose of Jesus was to help us understand where we are broken and to bring it before God and to find healing in relationships and even in relationship to ourselves. Some people have been deeply broken and wounded emotionally, mentally, physically by whatever it is. And we desperately, desperately pray for a healing work for that to be restored. We pray that our spiritual hearts could be could bring healing. So if any of these functions of the heart are not happening, then not only is the heart at risk of failure, but the whole body is at, is at risk of not functioning correctly. So let's go back now to the Colossians 3 passage, which will just give a bit of confirmation 
uh, about what we're talking about here, what's been broken. Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ. In other words, if you identify as a follower of Christ, and maybe not everyone does at this point yet, I hope that it will for everyone who's here and listening to this, watching this. I hope that, that our, our, our whole mission, you have your pastors come up here. I mean, the, the only reason that we are working is because we believe in the power of Jesus Christ in giving victory over death itself and over sin. Set your hearts on things above. So clearly Paul is saying there is a difference between the things above and the things on earth. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death in verse 5, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. In other words, that's part of the heart's function is to identify our immune systems are taught and conditioned and created to identify the things that are a danger to us. And we are called, as our immune systems are, if they're functioning properly, to identify that and put to death the things that are harmful to us. The practices that lead us away from God. The, the thoughts and ideas that consume our head and that we get addicted to and that we get, we, we get caught up in. And we're called to identify that and to, to clarify clearly what needs to be eliminated for the health of the body for its intended purpose. And then it lists a number of different things that we are to put to death. And then in verse 8 it says, But now you must also, in addition to those, rid yourselves of such things as these. Such things means these are examples. This isn't every listing. It's not as if you can just eliminate all these and then you're okay. So, I've eliminated anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from my lips. Okay, I've done that, so I'm good. No, it's all of those kinds of things. Do not lie to each other, but uh, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator, restoring what was broken, healing what was broken. We talk about surgeries and we've been, had, our, our members have had a number of surgeries in, in, in over the months. And every one of those is there to try and restore and bring back to health. Here's an interesting thought. You will notice something if you look up the Lord's Prayer in Scripture. You will notice that it says, give us, our daily give us this day our daily bread. What comes next after that? How many know what comes after that? One word. Three letters. And. The phrase is not intended to be separated. Give us this day our daily bread is a phrase in which we say we depend upon God for food every single day. We, we get to the place where we're looking to God. We're depending on God. We ask that God just get us through some days. Just give us enough for just today. And. 
Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It doesn't really matter how you say it, but the reality is that those two are together. If we depend on God for daily food, one of the ways that we receive daily food is to eliminate the things that steal and rot the food that God gives. God gives you a piece of bread. And, and remember, in the, the children of Israel, when they were given manna in the desert, what weren't they supposed to do? Save it up. Hoard it. Because it led them to believe, oh, they could start trusting in their stockpile of manna. Oh, look, Lord, oh, you've given us so much and we're going to gather it, we're going to put it in baskets, and we're going to make sure that our family is fed for days to come. And God said, no. It spoiled, it rotted, in order to teach them that their daily bread was depending on God and owing everything to God and leaning on God and, 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 and trusting in God. And in the same way, the forgiveness of sins is at the very center of our relationship with God. I do want to, to just mention that as we go for daily bread, it's one person said it this way, one pastor. As the physical body is nourished by food and needs to be renewed in vitality day by day, even so our spiritual nature needs to be made clean and white by confessing and cleansing every single day. And now, uh, if you have, I'm sure you've all heard the word criteria. So today I'm going to give you four criteria to help us understand how essential and at the center of everything is forgiveness. Criteria is, means a standard or principle for judging, evaluating, or selecting something. Criteria are the ideals or requirements on which judgment, evaluation, and selection are based. In other words, the criteria for any part of the Lord's Prayer for any aspect of our relationship with God is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the criteria for our relationship with God. In other words, if there is no forgiveness, there is no relationship with God. We are sinners collectively as well as individually. Our nation today is in great turmoil because of the collective greed and selfishness of so many people who absolutely refuse to lean on God for daily bread, forgiveness, or anything else. We're part of a society that permits and tolerates that for which we would not want to assume individual responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. Philip Yancey, uh, who, who um, uh, wrote his, in his book, uh, What's So Amazing About Grace, um, he talked about uh, a writer who had invested much of his life in exploring these issues. He, he is a writer who explored the issues of grace. 
And he was contacted by a television producer um, after the death of Princess Diana and wanted to get, he was really trying to set Yancey up. You know, he was going to set him up for saying, oh yeah, how do you see God in this one? Right? And, uh, and, and was asking Yancey how God could have possibly allowed such a tragic accident. And uh, he said, could it have had something to do with a drunk driver going 90 miles an hour in a narrow tunnel? He asked the producer. How exactly was God involved? And from this, Yancey reflected on the pervasive nature of the mindset that our actions are actually an indictment of God. Such as, and he gave these examples, such as when boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini killed a Korean boxer in a match. And the athlete said in the press conference, sometimes I wonder why God does these things that he does. In a letter to a Christian family therapist, a young woman told of dating a man and becoming pregnant. And she wanted to know why God allowed that to happen to her. In her official confession, when South Carolina mother Susan Smith pushed her two sons into a lake to drown, she said that, at, that as she did it, she went running after the cars that sped down the ramp screaming, Oh God, oh God, no, why did you let this happen? And it's tragic and it's heart-wrenching. And family members probably to this day still feel the pain and the struggle to forgive. And we have this tendency to turn around and say, if we do it on our own and it doesn't work out, well, it's God's fault. That's the cultural message that we have been given and fed every single day. That's been our daily bread long enough. It's time for the church to stand up and say, this has got to stop. We are responsible for the sin and brokenness in the world, and at least we can begin to overcome that through the power of Christ one day at a time, one piece of bread at a time, one relationship at a time, one situation at a time that we need to bring the healing power of Christ into this world and stop this nonsense. That's our calling. That's what the calling of the Lord's Prayer is, for us to actually activate a kind of forgiveness that makes no sense in this world, that absolutely doesn't make any sense. The criteria of our relationship with God is about forgiveness. The second one is that forgiveness is the criteria for overcoming sin. As N.T. Wright says in his book about the Lord's Prayer, instead of genuine forgiveness, our generation has been taught the vague notion of tolerance. This is at best a low-grade parody of forgiveness. And at worst, it's a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. I would wage a guess that the highest percentage of areas of conflict and disagreement, even over the last two years, maybe especially over the last two years, has to do with our unwillingness to accept where people are at in their walk, where people are at in their understanding, 
and forgive and be able to, to see a greater goal that God wants to work at, that through forgiveness and through caring and through all of the scriptures, hundreds of scriptures that talk about the love of God being practiced in the lives of believers, that love is to overcome sin. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great word of hope that is. Sin sears our conscience and brings about a breach of fellowship between the child and the father. And forgiveness breaks the power of sin. It frees us from the bondage and the shackles of sin. And forgiveness puts to death the earthly things. We'll talk more about that next week. A third criteria for forgiveness, or the, the way that forgiveness is a third, a third standard and principle for faith, is it's for receiving grace. Grace is always offered by Jesus, 100% of the time, and, 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 and offered. Uh, he, he died for everyone in the world. But if we see no need for forgiveness or no need to acknowledge that the sin that's in our lives, then we're essentially rejecting God's grace. So the grace is there, but we just haven't accessed it and, and activated it by receiving it, by acknowledging our sin and confessing our sin and laying it down before the Lord and then acting to accept grace as a gift and forgiveness is also a criteria for being a disciple there is nobody that can call themselves a christian and and say and then deny the the power and the need for forgiveness and i'm not suggesting that it's easy or that it happens overnight there are situations that are very very difficult but faith means believing and trusting and relying upon or surrendering to something or someone which is God. It is fully relying upon God so much that we are compelled to embrace its truth and goodness and seeking to apply it to every moment of our lives. And there is one other one that I won't have time. I, I really would like to, this may be worthy of a sermon series sometime, but... I just want us to understand this. There is no church. There is no church here. There is no community of believers called Yellow Creek. There is no congregation anywhere in this county that is even remotely effective at following God. Except that forgiveness is present in our relationships both in function of personal forgiveness and in witness by showing how we can be brothers and sisters together in Christ with all the differences, with all the failures and mistakes, with all the imperfectness that we have. There are so many ways that we are reminded that we're human and we're broken. And to, for a community of believers to bind themselves together and say, yes, we're all broken. 
but we all have access to the grace and love and healing power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. That is the love of God. And that's the love of God that when it comes to us is so powerful and is a demonstration of the ability that we can find joy again, that we can be reconciled as a family, that we have come home. And I would hope that, that when, when you come together, whether it's Wednesdays or Sundays or anywhere else, and not just around the campfire there too, but that everywhere we gather, welcome home. Maybe that's what we had to say to each other. When we come to church, welcome home. This is your home. Because we are here together as followers of Jesus Christ. Our Lord knew that each day his disciples were in need of forgiveness. He knew that every day they would need to forgive others. And consequently, he linked together in, in an inseparable way the plea for pardon with the promise to forgive. His he, God has forgiven us. It is possible by his help for us to forgive both ourselves and those who sin against us. And after we forgive, we will begin to experience some of the joys of heaven on earth. And we'll look at that more next week. I close with this story. Ray, Ray Stedman told this story of one man's explanation for his lack of forgiveness. He said, a man once said to me, I know I'm a Christian, but someone did an awful thing to me, something I just can't forget or forgive. And I replied, this is Ray speaking, are you sure that you can't forgive him? He maintained that he really had tried to forgive this, this man, but he was unable to do so. As he continued talking, I said, I know I have found that we often use the word can't when what we really mean is won't. Isn't it possible that what you're saying is not I can't forgive him, but I won't forgive him? If it is really true that you cannot forgive this man, then it indicates that you yourselves have been, never been forgiven and you are only kidding yourself about being a person of faith. This shook him. He thought about it, and then with a rather sheepish grin, he said, I guess you're right. I guess I won't. It wasn't long before he came back to me and reported with great joy that he had finally forgiven the man who injured him. And when that happened, it freed him. It frees something in us, because it, and it restores something in us. And so it's when we experience that, the power of forgiveness at work, that we can truly sing, oh, happy day. Let's sing it again as our closing.